The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello, and welcome to The B-Side for episode 1638 of our national conversation about conversations about race, the press, the election, and race. I'm Anna Holmes, here with the one and only Raquel Cepeda. Hi, Raquel. Hello, hello. You said that what nicely. Cepeda. I, did I say it, did I say it bad, badly the, the last no, time? No, I like the last I time. Just, it's it's okay. great. Right. Cepeda or Cepeda. Happy okay, face Cepeda. emoji. <laughs> uh, Tanner. Tanner Colby. Hi. Hello, Anna Holmes. And we have Baratunde Thurston, who is here with me in Los Angeles. How are you? I'm Baratunde? so good. It's good to be back. Yeah. What's up? The whole gang Baratunde. is here. The gang's back Baratunde. together. So, just so our listeners know, we are split up right now. Two of us are in Los Angeles, myself and Baratunde, and, and Raquel and Tanner, uh, and our producer AC are in um, Brooklyn. So, I've asked Raquel when she makes a face to something that I or someone else has sa- says to let us know verbally. That also, <laughs> can I just add, makes this truly a national conversation. Exactly. It does. <gasps> true that. True that. Coast to coast, it's, baby. That's exactly right. It's, exa- it's a continental conversation. <laughs> but, but isn't um, it the problem with the media that the two coasts think they are the nation? That's part of the problem. problem but, so much as yeah. awesome. Right. Sure. <laughs> Listen, I, I like California and I like New York. I'm happy to be at either place. Middle America, I like you too. Anyway, so... On our last episode, we discussed the mostly white political press corps and our frustration with the way in which many of its inhabitants have consumed, interpreted, and then communicated the particulars of this election, and in many cases failed. We also talked about police assassinations of black men in, among other places, Charlotte, North Carolina, and Tulsa, Oklahoma. As always, we invited you to share your thoughts, and we will continue to do so. All you need to do is shoot us an email or a voice memo at showaboutrace at gmail.com. And now, here's our producer, AC Valdez, with some of what you had to say. All right. Kicking this week off with an email from Carrie. Uh, I apologize if I mispronounced that, Carrie. Hi, Carrie. Hi, guys. <laughs> I enjoy the show. I live in North Carolina, and I wanted to mention two other things about the Keith Lamont Scott shooting in the video that's been released. First, you touched on this when you were discussing his wife's video, but it's striking to me that she was filming it from the start. Not just her calm, but the fact that she knew that was the only thing that she could do and that she needed to record it. Second, you talked about body cam footage and how it doesn't even necessarily prevent force from being taken. I also wanted to point out that this summer, our reprehensible governor signed a law saying that only a judge can make police footage public. It's HB 972 and says that recordings from body or dashboard mountain cameras can only be released to the public through a court order instead of via a public records request. So instead of more transparency, it feels that we are getting less in this state. The law does not take effect until October 1st, but it has definitely been discussed in relation to the shooting or, as you called it, assassination slash execution this week. Thanks for the podcast and for the conversation, Carrie. Anybody want to weigh in on body cameras beyond what we said last week? Well, I mean, people see what they want to see. So, as we've seen in the uh, case of Eric Garner. So, if you, if you, I don't know, do you, either any of you guys watch New York One? Yeah. Sometimes. Okay. Time so, Warner Cable. Yeah, I love New York One. So, anyway, the, the uh, Staten Island reporter was asking people what they thought about the video that was recorded. 
And people just saw what they wanted to see. They said a big black man was being basically aggressive, hyper aggressive. And those kids did what they had to do to defend themselves. So I, I think at the end of the day, I don't even know if, the, if it's going to end up working. If it's going to get anybody. If, if body cams are going to end up working? End up working to bring people uh, to, to justice for police criminality. Okay. One thing I wanted to comment about, and I think I, wa- I wanted to say this last week, and this is regards in regards to the wife recording the shooting, was... I think it was Tanzina, one of our guests last week, was talking about how kind of calm the wife was as she was documenting and witnessing this. And it occurred to me, you know, I wonder if having that barrier, so to speak, of the phone and watching what happened through the lens of the phone, assuming she was looking looking through it as opposed to just holding it next to her, if that didn't add to some of her shock as as the situation unfolded and also... um it would explain, you know, in some ways why she was so calm. I mean, there's also the aspect of this happens so often that I'm not I'm trying to think what I'm trying to put this. If you're a person of color in that circumstance now, it's your automatic reflex. Then mm-hmm. to, if you're either mm-hmm. the bystander or the or if you're involved is just you go for the cell phone. Like, you know, that that's your only hope is some kind of documentation. Um, so it's almost like a reflex action. Uh, again, to Raquel's point, it it has to be. You know, and it's kind of like what's going on with, with the presidential campaign. The racism and the sexism has to be so blatant for people to acknowledge it and see it. I think the Walter Scott video in, in South Carolina is probably the only one where every single person, I mean, the guy was running away fast in the right. other direction. He shot him in the back. That's the only one where unanimously everyone said, yeah, that was murder. Other than that, Eric Garner, he's wrestling, always big and scary. Any Anything you can do to uh, people will... will take away some justification if they can. I got something to add to the the body cam discussion. I recommend everyone look up this article in the Atlantic from May 2015. Headline, it's not too late to get body cameras right. It's co-authored by Dana Boyd and Alex Rosenblatt. Uh, some disclosure, I'm an advisor to the Data and Society Research Institute, which Dana Boyd founded. Uh, there's no financial stake in that. I just believe in good science. So, the, the caution that they offer up in this story comes down to these three points, that technology doesn't itself produce accountability, that removing discretion can backfire, and that surveillance of any kind can carry significant hidden economic and social costs. You know, we see the footage and we it gets us very upset. We also should remember that like putting computers in schools does not educate children and that putting cameras on cops does not make them less implicitly biased, less likely to use force even, and that the structures that are going on in our justice system, they come down to like prosecutorial discretion. They come down to a culture of silence amongst police forces and hyper defensiveness by unions. They come down to like political cover for anybody who defends a cop, regardless of what they did. Uh, They come down to the implicit belief that like black and brown lives matter less. And those are the things that I think we should be focused on. So it's not to say like, don't do body cameras at all, but let's not put faith in that to, to solve this whole thing. Mm. Because if we just add technology on top of a broken foundation, that technology will be used in a broken way. Mm. Uh, and so, again, that article is titled, uh, it's in the Atlantic, and it's called, It's Not Too Late to Get Body Cameras Right. So I would just urge our listeners to follow up and get more into the details of, of why we shouldn't put all of our hope and faith and dreams in technology. One An interesting <laughs> point off of what Bertunde just said. You know, we say all the time, oh, we need 
more programs, more resources, more this, more that, 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 like with housing problems, they came up with all these like section eight housing vouchers and like, okay, here's money for better housing for black people. But if you don't deal with the underlying racism of the landlords and the property owners, you're just adding more money a financial incentive to continue warehousing poverty and, and, and exploiting mm-hmm. black people mm-hmm. to, when you throw money at racial problems, when you throw programs at resources at racial problems without dealing with people's racism, you're creating perverse incentives half the time. Next couple of emails we got are, uh, regarding third party stuff, which we did not address on last episode. So I'm going to read a couple of these. I'm going to give you guys a chance to respond after this first one. From Tyler. Tyler, I apologize. Your email was really long, so I have edited it for length. Like Tanner, I sometimes focus on the effectiveness of efforts more than whether or not I agree in their aims. As a conservative, I feel that the goals of liberals, while oftentimes noble, are approached in such a way to maximize discomfort and frustration and, quite frankly, anger in the opposition. The basket of deplorables incident is one of those times. The problem with calling half of Donald Trump's supporters deplorable is that it paints them all as racist. Racism can be everything from allowing your child to wear a Halloween costume of Pocahontas to hate crimes. The problem is the term is too broad. I would like to see racism solved, not really from any kumbaya moment of peace and harmony, which would definitely be cool. But, uh, man, America has a million and one other problems to solve that don't get talked about because we spend 20% of the time on public policy on racially related issues. I do think that ultimately you have to sell everyone something. Ultimately, the white elephant in the room is that Caucasians make up between 60 and 70% of the country, which, Tyler, I don't think that's quite the case anymore. I think it's probably something closer to 47, 50%. And unless you want to wait until the magical year of 2040, you will need them to, on board to solve racism, which is unsolvable. At the end of the day, people vote for themselves. They don't vote for some sense of owing anyone anything else. See, Hillary supporters come lecturing to the Bernie supporters to get on board. I should probably lay this out there. I'm voting for Gary Johnson. I don't think people should be shamed into voting for a shitty candidate when you have one whose views you more align with. I think he should be allowed to debate, but even if he is not, he will still have my vote. Thanks, as always, for the great show, Tyler. He was invited. Where does Tyler live? (laughs) I want to know what state he's in. (laughs) Uh, He did not tell us. So, you know, go ahead, Raquel. There's just so many things that are going through my mind because that touched on so many things, right? Subjects. Basket of Deplorables, she was talking about the racists like David Duke and all those, you know, folks that are like writing with him and that kind of thought, right? The alt-right. She wasn't talking about every one of his supporters, but they went ahead and they spun it. And it's so funny because the right always talks about, you know, saying fuck you, respectability politics. But then when Democrats get dirty and just start to, you know, kind of give back what they've been getting this whole time, all of a sudden people's feelings are hurt. I don't understand right. how that works. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, <laughs> now you want to be politically correct. Right. Yeah, it's like now also, you want to be politically correct. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Anna. Also, well, I was going to say, last week, Jamel, who was one of our guests, explained the validity of the basket of deplorables comment. And if you were listening to him, which I assume Tyler was because he responded to the episode, he would have heard that the basket of deplorables comment was not l- being leveled at all voters or all Trump supporters. That's number one. Number two is, I'm not quite sure where this guy is coming from. It sounds like a libertarian perspective in terms of his who, who's getting his vote. But also the idea that racism can't be solved. If that's his starting point, it's hard for me to take the rest of what he had to say seriously, even though I really should try. So, Tyler, thanks for writing. You're a conservative who's voting for Gary Johnson. 
which means like that's a net okay thing to do in this election. Um, <laughs> Because presumably you would have voted for the Republican Party nominee, most likely. Mm -hmm. But since that party is a failed state run by a cantaloupe-headed monster. An orange um, anus, as we're you're not doing Agent that. Orange. So whatever state you live in, I'm, I am glad you're voting. And I'm glad you're not voting for the open misogynist and racist. I also, in terms of third parties in general, like, I, I don't like shaming people away from their beliefs into convenience it's like not the highest road to take in an election but i do think it's worth being very honest about the impact of your vote and if you live in florida wisconsin new hampshire ohio states that are on the edge and you're taking some principled stand against hillary clinton like you hate donald trump but you just don't like hillary so you're going to vote for a jill stein you're voting for donald trump like mathematically mm -hmm. you're helping him win Electoral college votes, which puts him closer to the nuclear codes. So uh, be principled, believe what you believe, but also be honest mathematically about the results of the choices that you make. If you're in California, New York, do what you want, right? It doesn't matter from an electoral college perspective. It doesn't matter to your conscience. And I'd super duper respect that. But I also don't like this pretend world where all you get to do is vote your conscience and there's no result of that. Because if you actually believe in human rights, civil rights, women's rights or just plain rights, you cannot make a choice that puts Donald Trump in the White House and have your hands be clean at the same time. You don't get to have both those options. But to his point, I will say one thing in his defense, not about Gary Johnson or the, a lot of the rest of it, but what he's <laughs> saying is, and this was the problem with the basket of deplorables, A, that she put half in front of it, and she didn't just assign it to the Breitbartian fringe media element there and that she said it was half of his supporters, even though that may be mathematically correct, I, you know, and that, to, to, to Jamel's point, you can't really disassociate the sort of blatant racism with the latent racism, with the economic insecurity, with the cultural insecurity. It's all a big stew. So the half and half thing was where she fucked up. A gumbo. But <laughs> a gumbo, if you will. But the entire <laughs> racist gumbo. The entire oh can that be the title of this B side? Yeah. Racist yeah. gumbo. Racist, racist, racist gumbo. gumbo. Yeah. But the entire <laughs> premise: when Richard Nixon seized power in 1968 by nurturing the insecurity of this white, then large majority that felt it was under siege by a changing of America, a changing new feminism, and, and and rise of civil rights that they didn't understand, and he seized on it. And the main pitch, which was his own insecurity, because he grew up this poor you know, honest working class family kind of guy. And he was always rejected by the quote unquote elites wherever he was. He was always, uh, he went to, I think he went to Duke University for law school and all of these rich kids just shat all over him. And his whole pitch to middle America and the silent majority is, look at these snobby elites looking down on you. I'm with you and we're going to take this country back. So technically correct or mathematically correct as Hillary may have been, and we can debate that. When you make those kinds of comments, not about Steve Bannon and Breitbart, but about the voters, you are playing into that stereotype of look at these elites, these liberal snotty elites in their ivory tower shitting on real America. And if you want to counter that narrative, you have to, while not selling out black people, you also have to speak to their insecurities and not shit all over them because you are, in a sense, asking for their vote. And you know, viscerally, I guess I feel like and like the Samantha <laughs> Bees of the world have no idea how they are heard. All my relatives are red state Americans. 
and the Samantha Bees of the world and that sort of like hectoring, all Republicans are stupid. It's not helping. It worked for Trump because he said that if he was going to be, if he's going to run for president, he would have run as a Republican like decades ago because they're all stupid. No, that was a fabrication. That was a hoax, wasn't it? No. I think, I think that was a hoax. He said it. It is a video. Tanner, There's videos. Tanner, oh, anyway, Samantha okay. B is not the first person to, first of all, I'm not sure that she ever said that all Republicans are stupid, but if she did, she's not the first person to do so. No, she's one. not Number the first. Two. She's just the one example that popped to mind because she's the latest okay. media darling to do it. And the other thing, I, 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 and this is actually a question I'm posing to everyone else, is, okay, the basket of deplorables comment was, what, two weeks ago? Do you really think it hurt Hillary Clinton? I don't see any evidence that it hurt her. So this kind of hand-wringing over, well, we might hurt the feelings of of racist it. voters or Trump voters, no. <clears throat> I mean, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem to me that actually that came to pass. And I don't know that I actually agree that we have to tiptoe around the feelings and insecurities of a certain portion of the populace whose insecurities and anxieties have been tiptoed around or, you know, in- indulged for decades, if not centuries. I, uh, but but, but me, do you want to win uh, them to your side? Don't you do want you, them to be less racist and to subscribe to a more egalitarian and, and social justice view of America? Don't you want that in the long run? Or do you want to shit on them and put them in the corner and say you're racist so you don't matter? What do you want to do? What, 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 is, the end, what is the net goal you want to achieve? I don't know that tiptoeing around them is the way that you get them to be, quote unquote, not racist and not going to not going to a corner. I mean, honestly, this could be a whole other discussion about how we try to win people from one side over to another. But I don't know that pretending that it doesn't exist is is the way to deal with it. So one thing that viscerally stood out to me was that this person, Tyler, and actually a lot of other Republicans and conservatives are so upset about being seen to be being painted in broad strokes. But this is what we live with. We're always, isn't it suck to be looked at as a monolith? Like you have to represent everybody. This is like basically you're living in our shoes for like a few seconds. Isn't that suck? Um, that's one thing. <laughs> and the other thing, you know, I would like to see just a step away from uh, Tyler for a second. In the future, my hope is that we can in some way down the line have preferential voting. So that people don't feel sucky about voting for Hillary or, you know, or their misogyny, their self, you know, their self-hatred or misogyny. They can't get over that. So they have to vote for Donald Trump. And then we're going to end up with like fucking orange Hitler on the, in, the, in the White House that I don't want to see. So I'm hoping that this will bring about change. I would love to see. I don't know what you guys think. More political parties. I love the Green Party not to like come out in the, like six months before the election and try to like make waves. We definitely this election, as absurd as it is. I think one of the things we can take away from it is that we need more space. We need more viewpoints, less binaries. On that note, I want to move on to this next third party email. And this is from Seth. I've come to believe that voting for a third party is an aspect of white privilege. Parentheses. Sorry, Tanner. Okay. Not only is it a (laughs) choice to demonstrate the lack of value of your vote, a willingness to throw away a right that has only been bestowed on some within the past few generations, but it is also a signal that it doesn't matter who wins the next election, I'm going to be okay. There is no empathy in that line of thinking. It's a selfish act that undermines whatever victory in racial equality has been made. I now have a much harder time with third-party voters, Jill Stein supporters in particular, because they are willing to throw someone else on the sacrificial altar while their white privilege protects them from deportation, stop and frisk, profiling, sexism, and racism that is so willingly embraced by the campaign, and at least half of the supporters of Donald Trump. Maybe it's because so many of them are from Western states where unions have been traditionally weak, minorities have been small, and conservatives are just, in their eyes, gun-toting churchgoers who hunt, farm, and ranch instead of rock climb. They perhaps have not seen the stark difference that exists between those Western conservatives 
and those who are part of the basket of deplorables. I'm yeah, so tired of basket of deplorables. I'm fucking tired of talking about it. I like the email. I mean, <laughs> it, it drove home some of the points I was trying to make earlier. I don't think all third party voters are white or that they're all, you know, blind to the impact of their choices. I think many are blind to that impact. I think it's a very localizable decision. Like, where do you live? What's the impact of your vote? And if you believe in the things that Jill Stein believes in, and also vaccines, uh, then you should vote for Hillary Clinton. Like, if you like modern medicine and you believe in, like, healthcare, you should vote for Hillary Clinton. You have a better chance of creating an America that respects the things you respect in this election with Hillary Clinton as president. That's a fact. We get obsessed with presidential elections during presidential election seasons because that's Mm -hmm. where the memes are focused. That's where the media is focused. These elections are about the whole ballot. And the other kind of major blind spot we have as a whole society is that we're not thinking about the district attorneys. We're not thinking about the school board chairs. We're not thinking about the city council and the mayoral races where judges get appointed, where police rules are set, where prosecutorial discretion is held to account or not. So if you want to be real, like it's not about casting a different vote for president. It's about casting more informed votes all the way down the ballot. That's where we should be investing our time. And that's where your values have a much greater chance of being executed by someone you're actually closer to politically because they're lower on the org chart uh, of America. So let's think about that. And let's be real about, you know, Hillary Clinton is better for people who like Jill Stein, period. I heard um, Jill Stein talking to Errol Lewis about preferential voting. She wants to see it done now, which to me just doesn't make any sense. But what do you guys think about that? Can you, in can the you future? explain what you mean exactly by preferential vote? You basically vote. Like rank order? You rank your order, the candidate of your choice. If, ah. you want, if, you, if you want Hillary, if she doesn't win, you want Jill Stein. If he doesn't, you know, and so forth, you know, and so on. Do you think that can work here? I don't know enough about it to, to say one way or the other. Seems yeah, I don't, I don't either. I mean, I, I've heard of it, but I, but I don't I don't have, I can't proffer an opinion because I don't know enough about the specifics. And, but I will, I will get back to you on that. So uh, I think uh, we should have mandatory voting. <laughs> Yes, mandatory voting. Yes, yes. If we have any listeners in Australia, you want you want the forty million unregistered white people thronging to Trump's. Well, I think we also like. What about the notion of casting a blank ballot, like they do in France or Canada or something like that, and actually being able to start an election cycle over again? Like that seems to me like hmm. much more pragmatic. Hmm. I got especially correct. with mandatory voting. Uh, Jill Stein, I think she supports vaccines. So it was, a, fu- it was a funny Slander. joke. No, but I don't think she I don't does. Think she I'm does. on Snopes.com. Okay. It's a fact check. They say she does. She's tweeted, of course, I support vaccines. I'm going to take her at a word on that. I'm sure she has other views that are... I'm sure she's talked around it that a little bit support. In, in a vague uh, sense. But the point is, she's not going to be president, <laughs> but she can help Donald Trump become president. That's the actual... Right. But true, true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. This is the last email that we're going to get to. It is from William. There was a moment at the beginning of your latest podcast where you referred to the latest in the spate of police murdering citizens as assassinations. There was some back yeah. and forth about whether that was the right choice of words, and I heard extrajudicial ex- executions in there, but then you all moved on. For what it's worth, this listener thinks execution is preferable. Assassination implies a level of premeditation and planning that I don't think applies in these cases, but murder doesn't tell the whole story. What is key about execution is the role of the state. I felt a weird, uncomfortable ambivalence when I heard that Betty Shelby was charged with a crime for the execution of Terrence Crutcher. Not because I don't believe she was culpable, but because charging her doesn't go nearly far enough. If I could write the style guides for all the journalists who cover these kinds of stories, I would encourage the use of the word executions. 
It is the state who is killing these men. Let's not ignore that fact. Thank you for the good work you do, William. I'm in here, here. agreement. Yes. Well yes. done, William. Yep. Well done. Let's get yep. that style guide. Yeah. That's the first yes. point in the style guide. Totally. I love that. But my only extra do see it's a tongue twister. That's my only problem. It's, it is accurate legally. Use your words, Tanner. Use your words. Extra judicial execution. It's it's a tough one to get out. Well, then don't say just extra say execution. Judicial. Yeah, just execution or say state sponsored execution a, or police a, criminality. A, a U.S. citizen was executed by officer so and so on yes. the highway mm-hmm. today. Exactly. Boom. Yeah. That's yep. it. That, yep. they, you're collapsing layers of the justice system. Totally. Cool. Uh, the judgment is. and the punishment. And there's no appeals. There's no death row. There's no holding pen. There's no bailiff. There's just you dead on the street mm-hmm. by, the, by the hand of the state. How about extra mm-hmm. legal? Is that better? No. How about? No. We don't, it's not yeah, extra. Why do you, yeah, you don't have to like it's add thing. that. Shorter is in. better. It fits in tweets. You can hashtag it. Like For the academics, extrajudicial works. It has a meaning if you're a lawyer, especially, and if you mm-hmm. are in the activist circles. For the average listener and viewer and tweeter, execution. Yeah, Boom. what's what Tanner? What's your what's your hesitation about just using the word execution? Oh, I think extrajudicial adds uh, an important modifier to it. So you're saying extrajudicial execution, How about illegal yeah. execution? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, or illegal yeah. execution. But like, Boom. I feel like extrajudicial is a, when you when I can say it. <laughs> oh, Listen, man. If you can't even say it, then don't That's use great. it. Tannic is extrajudicial. But neither can I. But. It calls out the sort of mercenary attitude like of beyond the, the legal of system, the executioner yeah. who is acting outside of the law without proper channels, without due process. Execution is we strap the guy in the chair and, and put the needle in his arm. That's commonly oh. understood as execution. As, yeah, but so, I think I get it. But I, if we're talking about these sorts of, of shootings and we use the word execution, it's going to be pretty clear to the reader what that means. And also, there is a certain power in stripping that that phrase. And just using the word execution, like it, 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 it is very provocative, but it's not untrue. Mm-hmm. All right, that's all we've got. Uh, stay tuned for the main episode, episode sixteen thirty nine. Again, if you want to give us feedback, questions, comments, all you need to do is send us an email or a voice memo at showaboutrace at gmail.com. 